Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Brett Simmons, a writer and director whose films include Husk, The Monkey's Paw, and Animal. He contributed a segment to the anthology Chilling Visions, Five States of Fear, and his latest feature, You Might Be the Killer, just had its Canadian premiere at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival earlier this month, which is when I grabbed him for this episode. Brett picked the original Halloween 2, the 1981 sequel that picks up exactly where John Carpenter's Halloween left off and just keeps going, with Jimmy Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode saved from Michael Myers by the arrival of Donald Pleasance's Dr. Loomis, only to find, as the posters promised, that the nightmare isn't over. While it's not nearly as effective as the movie it followed, and director Rick Rosenthal is nowhere as skillful a technician as Carpenter, there's still some stuff here that's pretty interesting, and after half a dozen disappointing Halloween sequels and one very satisfying new one, there's quite a lot to talk about. Buckle up. This is someone else's movie. Halloween is my favorite slasher film, but Halloween 2 is probably even near and dear to me because it's the movie that introduced me to horror. Because Halloween 2 specifically was the movie I always caught my dad trying to watch when I went to sleep. <laughs> and he taped it on VHS. And it was on the same VHS as... Um, the Disney Halloween special that he recorded for me and my sister. Okay. And so I had to navigate through Halloween 2 to get to my movie, and it was just really poor planning and parenting on on his part yep. that, like, my movie was afterwards. And so I spent... I didn't I didn't actually watch Halloween and Halloween 2. I watched them together until I was, like, 13. But I spent my entire childhood navigating through bits of Halloween 2 to get to what I was comfortable watching. Right. I watched Halloween... I watched Michael Myers get lit on fire, like a hundred times before I understood why, <laughs> you know, I like, and I saw Loomis, but I don't understand why. And so when I finally watched Halloween, I was like, oh, okay, that's who these people are. Yeah. And I got the Halloween too. And even more, I was like, oh, okay, there's all this imagery and all these beats and things that like, I'm finally able to piece together. And then as an adult, just falling in love with Halloween, um, I'm really in love with the, the Loomis and Michael relationship. But then also, um, I'm terrified by just how unrelenting Michael Myers is as a figure of death coming after Lori, which I feel like Halloween 2 put at the forefront of the story, whereas Halloween 1 is more about Michael killing a bunch of babysitters and then ultimately coming after Lori, whereas part 2 focusing on her as the sister, which I know not everybody loves, but just the idea that she is the target and the driving motivation from Myers in the second movie is just the scariest thing to me. The idea that like here comes death and death can't be stopped. It's terrifying. And so like Halloween two starts to really focus on all my favorite parts of Halloween one in a really cool way. Yeah. And, um, the simplicity of it's really cool to me. It's also, dude, it's like my favorite type of sequel. Cause there's reasons why I think back to future two is an incredible sequel. Godfather two, Terminator two aliens. But I put Halloween 2 up there because it's amazing to make a sequel where they could have very easily been like, and next year, or whatever. Yeah. And instead, the movie opens with the last scene of the first movie, and I remember being like, oh, this is interesting. And then the camera just keeps going. And like, Michael Myers is gone, and Loomis comes out, and he checks for him, and then we're just following Michael down an alley into someone else's house, and I was like, 
the night just isn't over yet. Like this is this is the rest of the night, and it felt like it earned the moniker of two in the sense that no, this is literally the next half of the same evening. Now just very focused on just this this attack on Lori and just this pursuit of Lori, and I just always thought that was super cool as a sequel. And I've never seen now. I'm sure it exists. Maybe you've seen. I'm sure you've seen. But I've never I've never seen a sequel that just did that. Just picked up and literally just kept going as if the first movie wasn't over yet. There's a couple, and they always fly out of my head when I'm thinking about them, but they're, yeah. they're not the most memorable movies, simply yeah. because every time you're you're coming right after this incredible high of the of the previous one. Like, the right. reason the right. sequel exists is because the first one was so good yeah, or so popular, or for whatever reason, they, yeah. they wanted to make another one. And, yeah... What? Oh, I can't think of it. just came out this year. I hate when this happens to me. This is what happens when you get older. Yeah. Um, but there's like, it takes place five seconds after. And oh, it wait. Takes I feel right like I know what you're talking about. Yeah. We can cut this bit while we fumble and then yeah. sound authoritative. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because we should. But Because but, that's what was so crazy about Halloween too was the whole impetus of the movie is this is a movie about something horrible that happened on Halloween night. And then the idea of this going, this is still Halloween night. You know, like, that's what yeah. was so cool about it. It was like, no, like, the night isn't over. So, like, the idea of just continuing it felt... Well, the movie won't let you leave, right? Yeah, like, you yeah, can't, yeah. You can't leave it this. It makes so like, much sense. Yeah. And, and even, like, the fact that, like, it just escalated everything they liked. Like, even how, like, the whole first movie is Loomis just basically, like, you guys don't understand Michael's evil. You don't understand how evil he is. You don't understand how... He needs to be stopped. He needs to be locked up. And then we leave the first movie with him having shot Michael and him going off the balcony and everything. You're like, cool. And then second movie, Michael's now up and running again. And they tease that at the end of the first movie. So it's like, it's cool to like, oh my God, Michael's Michael's not in the grass anymore. And then, well, now we're going to see where he went. Yeah. And now it's almost like they're, like they're escalating Loomis's old, like, just fury where he's just like, I shot him six times. I shot him six times. And it's just like, now he's even more like, he can't be stopped, we gotta get him. And it's like, his urgency now is the same urgency, but more. Lori's need to escape and survive is the same, but now more. And um, and the police pursuit is now the same, but more. It's brilliant, because I know John Carpenter and DeRail wrote it. And I was thinking, revisiting it, how brilliant it is killing killing the other guy on accident that they think is Michael and just like oh yeah poor Bennett Tramer yeah 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 I've right. never forgotten that name it's like you you don't exist in these movies you're just there to be killed you're just there to distract everybody while Michael goes to the hospital you know but it's brilliant like the whole hunt for this guy and then they think they got him and now Loomis still looks crazy because the cops are thinking you know like well wait it's really tragic but there we go. Like the night is over. And he's yeah. like, I don't think it is over. And, oh yeah. And so it's like just taking all of Loomis's stakes and just heightening them and then making life so difficult for him. Yeah, and, and Donald Pleasance was already pitched at eleven in the first film. He right? already dialed it to eleven. Yeah, you're yeah. so right. It's a it's a it's a wonderful performance because you really you know like you have nowhere to go when right. you're when you're at that right level with right. the energy and he just keeps finding. Uh, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but there was some some wonderful little. No, it couldn't have been Stephen King. Uh, but somebody once wrote just this little aside in a novel about how a character was thinking back to a gym coach telling them to flex their arm and then mm. flex again 
half a, like 30 seconds later to yeah. tighten it up and realizing there's a little bit more to it. Yeah. And that's the muscle that that's Pleasant crazy. seems to be doing that's in funny. Halloween too. Because he's, I, I don't know how you do that. I, yeah. Like, as an actor, I don't know how you approach right. this character who is monomaniacal. Yeah. You know, and no one is listening to him, and he just gets angrier and angrier. And, right. And then, yeah, at the end of Halloween, nothing he did worked. Right. Like, all these people are dead. He shot this guy six times. No one listened to him. No one listened to him. Yeah. The, there's the school of thought that says that the first Halloween only works. Walter Chaw just wrote about this on Film Freak Central. Yeah. Um, it only works if it's the only movie. If you're left alone with, with this desolation, with this yeah. thing that happened, and then yeah. he disappeared, and so... It never goes away for anybody because yeah. they just don't understand it. Right. But then the idea of the sequel, and it kind of plays back into into Jamie Lee Curtis's performance in the new Halloween. Yeah. Is that what if it did end, and you knew it wasn't over? Yeah. And no one believed you. And yeah. what would that do to you? And with with her, we get to see her sort of turn into Loomis in this new movie because right, she's right. been living with this for forty years. With Loomis, it's just like, no, it's 40 seconds later and no one is fucking listening to me and right. it's still out there. Yeah, like this is still an active threat and issue. Yeah. And that's actually funny, like you're talking about we actually just went and saw the um, the new Halloween last night. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously now you know my feelings about Halloween too. Yeah. And so when they were talking about how they were kind of like doing a revisionist sequel, just kind of omitting all the sequels... At first, I was a little bummed because I like Halloween 2. And for me, like, Halloween 2 is such a literal continuation of the first sure, movie yeah. that I always felt like, no, like, it feels like that's the event. And I almost I almost understand Laurie's trauma more by the fact that, yes, she was attacked in this house. Yes, she tried to save these kids. Yes, all this. But then even when she went to this hospital, this guy still got up still tracked her down, still kept, like, murdering people on his way after her, right? Where I'd be like, yeah, like, how do you shake that after that? Like, that almost justifies how she ended up in Halloween even more to me. Yep. But then, even in the, and I guess it's relative spoilers for the new one, but also not, you've seen the trailer, but, you know, how um, the movie really does boil down to Michael coming after Laurie still. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... I was like, I don't know if there's a benefit to omitting. And they didn't blatantly omit the idea that he was her sister. And so maybe they're just trying to say, oh, the kids say that that was all fake, but maybe it's real. Maybe they're just kind of like, audience, take it as you will. But when I was watching, I was like, no, this isn't a movie about just Michael just going and killing again. Like, this really is almost a movie that's centralized on him coming after Laurie again. Yeah. Well, I mean, whether or not she's a blood relation whether or not the the sibling thing holds up yeah it just it plays to me like unfinished business where yes yeah especially with the podcasters reminding him of all the things like of, of this one thing he didn't accomplish yeah, yeah. that's a good and, point and whatever's inside of him because i i totally subscribe to like i'm a, I'm a loomis believer i think yeah, he's right too. i think whatever's in there isn't a person yeah uh and that's so much more disturbing than he's trying to kill his sister so much better and that's actually yeah. why I had such a hard time with the Rob Zombie movies because well who yeah who thought well, I mean we know who thought it was a good idea Rob Zombie thought it was a yeah. good idea but yeah. just the idea that you want to you want to know Michael Myers better it's yeah, the but you don't yeah, yeah like you it, it weakens it a lot like oh yeah there's nothing to know like that's the that's what's scary that's it's, the it's just blank it's just empty and that's what that's actually what we were talking about after the movie last night how. I was teetering on the edge of, like, I was getting really worried when they were showing the back of Michael's head, you know, <laughs> at the asylum. Also, I'm really glad they didn't show his face. 
But even that, to a certain extent, felt like too much because I was like, I don't even want to know what his hair looks like under that under that mask. You know, it's like the less I know about what's under the mask, the better. Um, so that like there was a few points there where I was like, Ooh. but all that's to say is, you know, my favorite thing about Halloween is like hearing John Carpenter talk about Loomis's perspective on Michael and, you know, like just his whole quote of like, you know, he's got the devil's eyes and just like his embodiment of just pure evil and death, like exactly like you already said, like that's what freaks me out. And that's what makes me worried about him coming after me. That's what makes me project the boogeyman on him. It's what separates him from Jason and all the other like 80s slashers is that he embodies something bigger and more doom filled, you know? Yeah. And, um, I absolutely subscribe to everything Loomis says. And that's why when, when, and I understand Rob Zombie's, I appreciate his story. Like, I don't want to knock it because I feel like a jerk doing that. Oh, I would. Okay. Okay. Like, let let me do that. I I really, I mean, I, I I guess I'll say this. (laughs) I'll say it like this to be fair as a filmmaker. I appreciate that in his voice with the story, he wanted to make Michael Myers kind of like in Batman begins, like feel like he existed in our world. You know, like he's a very real world serial killer. And like, Nolan did that beautifully with Batman. Just like I left the theater watching Batman Begins, thinking like, "Wow, I live in a world where Batman could like happen, yeah. happen, yeah. right?" And like, and I've never felt that way before. That's insane. And um, and the idea of trying to do that with Michael, I get the attempt. It just it doesn't work. It's a failed experiment to me. Yeah. Because it misses it misses the point of what made Michael so scary. Well, yeah, and the problem with zombie specific vision of Michael is that it's all of his stuff anyway. Like right. it's just a Rob Zombie. He, it's a Rob Zombie. He's movie. put Michael Myers in a Rob Zombie. Movie it better to just make his own movie. Yeah, which Halloween Two kind of is. Right. Like his version of Halloween Two just goes off in its own direction, which everyone loves. Yeah. And you're right because it just kind of became his own to, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and every single and it's not just Zombie's fault. Like uh, every single Halloween sequel that tries to add anything more than Sister. Mm-hmm is just incredibly unsatisfying. You know, yeah. like they introduced druids and and yeah, I know. all and, this weird... And it's funny because, like, the curse of Michael Myers, like, adding, like, the whole, like, druid, like, the thorn cult and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this may... Eventually someone will listen to this. If, and if I ever get my hands on doing a slasher, I love the idea of combining the slashers with the occult and all that stuff. Like, I, I love the idea of there being some kind of darker gr- underground entity that really just has a weapon of choice, okay. which is a person, you know, like that's yeah. the concept is interesting to me. Sure. Their execution is not interesting to me and definitely not doing that. With Michael Myers. Like I feel like curse of Michael Myers would have been a way better received movie and more interesting movie. If it was a completely unrelated character. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean just this year, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Mandy or, or no, I haven't seen it yet. I want to so bad. They both, both Mandy and apostle, which is Gareth Evans, new film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. flirt with the idea of cultists being right. Interesting. Which is something I find really fascinating where yeah. just the, the sense that the larger world is actually not missing. What it. Normal people think it is interesting. And there's something else going on. And that if you tap into it, you look crazy, but what if it's real? Right. Uh, one you're... of them, one of them pays it off, and one of them doesn't. Gotcha. And the one that does is infinitely more satisfying to me, just because. Oh, you went there. You actually tried for that. Like you did it. Yeah. That is like a really creepy. There's a lot of horror, inherent horror, just in that alone. Mm-hmm. Just like the world that you think that it is isn't. Yeah, and you can do it. I mean, you can do it with elaborate CGI, and you can do it with big monsters and scary voids and things, or yeah. you can just do it through ideas, which. Is kind of what Halloween does. Yes. In its purest execution, where 
there is nothing to know. There is just something you can't stop. Yes. And the best thing you can do is just run away. I mean, it's it. It's kind of what what um, it follows is about. Yes. David Robert Mitchell totally. pulled on that little string. Love that movie. Yeah. There's this implacable totally. menace in the world, and you just have to accept it. We're not gonna. We don't know how to define it more than we're defining it now. You know. That's what was so cool about. It's another thing we were talking about last night. How you remember in Halloween, the original Halloween, remember how um, Carpenter had to add that scene for the TV version yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah, the one, it's the, the one where the he's asylum. in like the boardroom or at the asylum. Yeah, he's like yeah. trying to like like basically like appeal to the Smiths Grove board that Michael shouldn't be transferred. Hmm. I the first time I saw Halloween was with that scene. Right, the TV version. That was my yeah, first experience of it as well. First time watching it. And so I didn't know that that wasn't in the original movie and man like when I when I saw the original cut of the movie I really missed it because I was like this is such core foundational information like both for Loomis's character but also sets up Michael so well but also it feels like it balances the whole um, Loomis-Michael dynamic to the babysitter dynamic because you know like that was kind of like Deborah Hill and John Carpenter's like division of labor was I'll handle all the Michael Loomis stuff you handle all the babysitter stuff mm-hmm. and it brought more balance and meaning to the Michael and Loomis side of the story like that scene it's I've always like just that scene has always been a really definitive piece of of the franchise for me where I'm like yeah like that's the thing like here's this guy I was so fascinated by the idea like here's this like psychiatrist he's a doctor he's got all this like learning and degrees and everything behind studying the human mind and he's encountered this human that transcends and defies all of that and now who's crazy you know it's almost like just like witnessing michael is causing this learned man with a british accent which means he's extra smart (laughs) to like kind of start to go a little wacky and you dial it to 11 you know it's like so now he's running around everyone's like yeah you look exactly as crazy as you're acting like you don't understand and it's just brilliant to me like it starts to feel a lot like um Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, well, you know? that's I was going to say that the thing that is the most disturbing about both movies, both the first two Halloween films, mm-hmm. not the new Halloween, yeah. is that you have this implacable calm in mm-hmm. Michael, and then you have this maniac coming up behind him who is supposed to be the good guy, right? And the at a distance, yep. You know how do you respond to that? It's sort of the thing in my brain that explains why the police don't immediately just open fire on Michael every time. It's like, well, he's not the threat. The crazy totally. guy's the threat. Yeah. Well, you can even like you're so right. Like that's what always really was so cool to me was Michael's so calm and empty and silent that that just reads as um, no zero threat. Like yeah. It just reads as safe, right? And he can he can be the one just walking down the sidewalk with a bunch of trick or treaters and raise no red flags. Whereas then here's this doctor with a gun screaming. Yeah, right? he clearly like, doesn't know how to use. Yeah, he doesn't really know how to hold it at all. And they don't teach that in medical school. So but he's like just right down the street and like, you got blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, well, arrest that guy. Yeah. Whereas Michael's just, I'm just going to walk into this house. I'm just going to go stab this lady. I'm going to take her knife. I'm going to walk back out. So it's really, uh, and that's the thing about, again, going back to Halloween too, is I think there's a sense of, Something that always freaked me out, I'll reference another movie first. Sure. The third act of Terminator was one of the scariest things I had ever seen when I was a kid. The idea of setting up this whole movie of, this Terminator's come from the future, he's been programmed and wired to come kill Sarah Connor, period. By the way, you're Sarah Connor. Yeah. And so now it's just like, this thing 
has nothing else to do, has air, all the stakes in the world are based off of this mission succeeding for him, the trajectory of the future, like all this, like the stakes are massive, right? And he's a machine and he can't be stopped. And how James Cameron in like the movie, like the whole third act is as simple as I'm going to kill you. You're going to try to not die. And just all the things that get thrown at this machine that don't stop it. And I, that used to just be the types of nightmares I'd always have of being chased by something scary that just kept getting up and couldn't be stopped. And so seeing that in movie form, I was like, oh, this is just exactly my worst nightmare. Like, just this thing's trying to kill me and it can't be stopped. It breaks through the doors. It can't be killed. It, can't be, it can climb whatever. It can break through whatever. And Terminator realized that on film. And that was horrible to watch. And Halloween 2 realized that for me, too, more than the first movie. Well, especially if you're subliminally implanting that image in your own head, watching the yes. last two minutes over and over again, trying yeah. to get to your own program. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, all the time. You're like, inceptioning yourself. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're right. I'm going down and I'm incepting. I'm like, dang, i got to blame my dad for that. But yeah, like that's what was so terrifying was Lori is at a, as, as weak a state as you can imagine, and... Here comes Michael in this hotel where no or hotel hospital where no one's equipped to deal with this guy, and sure they have to throw in like just killing random orderlies and like the hot tub scene is a little yeah. ridiculous. Well, but and I kind of wondered when you were saying that the just to, to to derail you for a second. Yeah. The you were talking about the the scene in the um, at Smith's Grove in, in Halloween that was added. Yeah. And I that's that's also how I saw it the first time through, but it stuck out in a weird way. Part of it was that it felt airless; that mm. it's really calm and quiet in the, in the middle of the movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Halfway through the uh, first act, and what really stuck in my head now is that maybe the reason that I'm not so crazy about Halloween two as well mm. is that Michael doesn't belong indoors. Mm. Like he, Interesting. He's used beautifully in exteriors yeah the like the film. trick-or-treaters running around yeah we're just standing in the you know standing in the sheets and, and yeah. standing across the way from Lori's school and all of the the sort of starkness where he shouldn't be in places yes you put him in a room you put him in a place with lighting yeah. where we ordinarily go and it doesn't feel as transgressive in if he's you know this elemental presence in yes. the first film where he's he's always invading he's never yes. a place where he belongs yes and an institution an asylum a hospital those are oh it almost starts to feel a little more correct yeah it's like public spaces you know interesting. You, you might find him there so it would be that's freaky. a really funny thought and it, they kind of do it in the new film as well I don't know if it's conscious or not but he's only mm-hmm. ever we never see him in his I think maybe we see him in the cell briefly but mostly he's outdoors in the yard yeah he's outdoors yeah you don't yeah. really see him inside you never really see him contained he doesn't belong where people are that is a thing that like Halloween 2 it is my my biggest criticism of the movie is really along those lines, oh, which yeah. is that I miss I miss the activity of Halloween night because it's taking place in the later half of the night where there's less kids on the street. Yeah, and yeah. Eventually, there's no kids on the street, obviously, and then getting to the hospital where there's some activity, but then into the night where there's no activity. And that is a part that I do really miss that, like just kind of the solitude of the hospital sometimes feels a little like lonely, but then also sometimes... That was the threat because when I wake up in the middle of the night, I wake up at like 3 a.m. You know, it's like in the wee hours that are the empty, lonely hours. And somebody in my house, it freaks me out more then than it does when everybody's up and awake. And so that's the other thing that I don't like it as a viewing experience of Halloween 
but there's also the part of Hall- or Halloween two, but it's also the part of Halloween two that becomes the most visceral is a giant empty hallway and Michael's just there walking down it starts to really go like oh god like that could be my house yeah but but you're right like the sterile nature of the hospital isn't necessarily the place that you love spending your two hours watching a movie yeah. plus in the back of my head I'm just thinking like there's more than one exit it's mm-hmm. not like a house with a door yeah there's lots of ways there's lots of places to hide yeah. and it's I mean that's part of it right because they created right. this little maze for the for the story to take place yeah but some part of your brain is always just like jump out the window you know just, yeah, there's, just there's other things leave. you can do I'm and trying to remember too because she does like try to escape at one point doesn't she and she tries to get in an ambulance but she can't start the ambulance I'm trying to remember yeah there's always there. a reason there's always a reason that the oh, thing always. doesn't work always but um, in, in in contrast and maybe that's just it like the first film has this tiny intimate story with mm-hmm. a handful of people one look like basically one location towards the in the second half of the movie yeah. it's all in the house yep and no escape and no um no options yeah and when loomis arrives the movie ends like that's that's yeah. exactly as far as it will go and no further the same way with terminator mm-hmm. cameron who i'm sure was influenced by halloween yeah um was was trying to make it as primal and simple as possible yep. but also by adding time travel you expand the story and there's a chase and all the other yeah. stuff um, but as soon as the threat is destroyed, or as soon as Michael disappears, it's over. Yeah. And Halloween two, it's a continuation, so obviously the threat isn't over, but yeah. it just keeps extending the threat in ways that don't feel like necessary with yeah. all the other kills. I mean, sure. um, they make the point in the first in in the new Halloween is that only five people were killed, and it's not that big a deal anymore. If you think yeah, about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Two ads. I think there's like six or seven more. Yeah, like six or seven more kills. Yeah, and that's the thing is like it like, and again, it's kind of coming back to like, going into the new one, including Halloween two makes what Michael did in the first movie feel that much more threatening because mm-hmm. when I, even when we were watching the movie last night, you know, like I listen to like true crime podcasts like all the time. It was <laughs> so funny like like them doing a podcast. I was like, yep, one hundred percent. Like I would probably be the guy that's listening to this, but to um to like 40 years later be talking about this guy that went and killed five people in a neighborhood is like okay that's interesting but that's not as interesting as some of the other stuff like that's yeah. actually been you know like that's I hate to say like that <laughs> it kind of sounds like small potatoes in comparison to some like the stuff that's happened or like you know what I mean like yeah, I'm just no, kinda, no. Like, in oh, terms of scale it's not um, it, it's I would assume that you know if if it's the night of horror in Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, if, yeah. if it kept going, that like that would be the reason people would remember it. Right. But I think that's this weird little thing about how because we've seen the first movie, we all know how visceral it felt. And yeah, yeah, there would have been no tabloid coverage. There would have been no television coverage. It would have just right. been a weird story. Although I guess the fact that the kid broke out fifteen years later and went back would kind yeah. of make like it that stick, would like be a campfire story. Yeah, exactly. Like he killed his sister. He was just a little kid, and then yeah breaking back out but that's again like it starts to all add intrigue to it where it's like he killed yeah you know these teenagers here and then even followed this one teenager to the hospital laid out six more bodies like yeah it's like a yes and right like yeah then what else did he do well all ended with firing inferno and famous doctor mard you know it starts to go oh my god wait what is (laughs) this about you know it's so it is funny how like I felt like omitting 
reference to two kind of took more of the teeth out of what Michael did, even though what he did was still horrible. But I just feel like that was just it, it feels like it's a it's a missed opportunity to me, you mm-hmm. know, just as far as like just what they could have included in the new one. And again, like I also get it because Halloween two is like what ruined all the sequels was committing to the sister angle. Like that's well, making it generational, right? Giving her a daughter. Yeah, like that that ruined all the sequels. Like really Halloween one and two can exist together as long as nothing else exists after it. Yeah. And so I get the di- like the idea of okay, well if we're gonna make Halloween twenty eighteen, let's omit two and all the sequels, so obviously they can do whatever they want afterwards. But even watching again, spoilers, like the way that they end the new Halloween, I'm like, Well wait, like yeah. <laughs> are you gonna do anything else with this now? Because it seems I don't know how you're going to justify Michael surviving. <laughs> well, it's kind of the same finality as as two or even yeah. one. I mean, it's a mixture, really, when you yeah. think about the way that it ends. But it's, yeah, I don't want there to be another one. Like I feel yeah, like I they got mean. it. I feel like we're good now. I feel the same way. Where I'm like, okay, I love the idea that it takes place in this idealized mm. small town America, which is still smarter than the rest of the world because yeah. <laughs> for the first time they listen to Laurie and they understand yeah. what to do. Um, it's like it's so I mean with with your film that the police mm. aren't involved right uh, you have Keith Damon which is yeah. such a great <laughs> just like oh it was warming to hear <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you felt that way yeah but um, but the idea of authority being absent in these in these yeah. movies is like a constant or, or ineffectual and that's like that's the other thing about the first Halloween there's no police stations there's no, no I think they meet when, when Loomis and Brackett meet they're outside like yeah. they're at a, they're at the, the other the murder scene yeah yeah, and there's never a sense that, you know, like there's just this individuals against this evil, and yeah. the evil is also just a single person. It's it's like chess pieces. It's it's well, it's almost like authority. Like you have the police representing safety and help, mm-hmm. and how elusive it is because Loomis is basically like, I'm trying to convince you guys to come help, but they're just not buying it, and Loomis himself can't help, and so now the teenagers are left on their own. So it's a really interesting dichotomy, right? Where you're just sitting there like. It's actually another thing about Halloween that's so cool is like most of these movies, you're right, like they just straight up avoid the police. Whereas in Halloween, both Halloweens, the police are constantly lingering in the peripheral. Just yeah. like, we're here, we just don't see why we're supposed to intervene yet, which is almost worse, right? Because it's, it's almost like the girl getting attacked inside the house screaming at the police outside that don't hear her. You yeah. know, it's like, they're two steps behind. Yeah. They're not fast enough. They just, they're, they're not. And it's it's what Loomis has been saying all along, right? You yeah. don't know what you're dealing with, right? You don't, and and, and that's what's so cool is like I never even really thought about that until I talked about it now here with you. The fact cool. that like the police, they are ever there, but they're just not involving themselves, and it almost makes Loomis's performance make more sense because he's acting so crazy, he's impossible to believe. Yeah, like, it's just like wow. Like, even if what you were saying made sense, the delivery is a little psychotic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I really like about uh, Zombie's reinterpretation, which is that mm. he's kind of in it for the money, and he doesn't really believe what he's yeah. saying. It's a different tactic, and yeah. it's one that's almost more relatable yeah. than what Pleasance is doing, because he's yeah. so crazy yes. and so frantic, but they're you know, like which is worse, to know the truth and not be listened to, or to not care, yeah, and be famous and and you well, know. So you know what's so interesting about that? Soul. And I was Brian and I were talking about this last night, where I was 
Well, I was, there's one point in my career where I was just trying to figure out, like, what would I do with Halloween? Like, what would I do if I got to, like, play with it? Mm-hmm. And I actually really loved that the new movie kind of started to go there with their, with the new doctor. I love that Laurie called him the, you must be the new Loomis. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. But the idea that I had always felt, and I'm really glad that they did this, but I always felt like this could have been done with Loomis, where he is a, again, an incredibly educated, intelligent man who has encountered the ultimate riddle, right? In Michael. Sure. And Michael's driving him insane. And almost the idea of no one believes me about, I'm trying to get you guys to not transfer him and nobody gets it. And I've spent the last 20 years trying to convince everybody that I'm not crazy for this kid that I've encountered. I'm just trying to keep him locked up and he defies everything I know how to explain. And I can't even explain it to you in a way that you'll believe me. And as crazy as you think I am, that's how I feel because of Michael. And almost the idea of Again, going back to Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster thing, the idea of a doctor who becomes responsible for something, for basically unleashing a monster. Almost like the idea of Loomis, like, if you're not going to listen to me about keeping him locked up and not transferring him, then I'm going to make you regret this mistake that I know you're making by helping Michael, like, escape. You know, like, just the idea of orchestrating this just so that the world can finally see. And it's almost like, I need to orchestrate this escape just so everyone finally believes me. And they took it like their own direction, which I appreciated. But the whole idea of like a doctor who's been invested in this for so long and is so confused that he's kind of snapped himself. Yeah. But I almost feel like what I didn't like about it was their version of it just made him seem like Michael drove him psycho. And he was like unto himself, his own villain. I'm like, I don't need another villain in this movie. I want to like the doctor. and, And if you did it with Loomis... Like, I want to care about Loomis, and again, it's like the thing with Frankenstein's, like, the Dr. Frankenstein, where it's like, I, I, I see what drove you to this point, and I see the guilt that you feel for doing what you ultimately did and should not have done. Right. And now you're dealing with the repercussions of it, and almost like now this doctor is like, oh my god, what have I done? And now, like, characterizing Loomis by trying to get the police to stop him, and part of why he's acting so crazy is less because... Michael's still driving him crazy and more just being crazy, driven crazy by the guilt of, oh my God, I, I should have never unleashed this. You yeah. know, it's like, or like Jurassic Park, you know, it's like Hammond, you know, it's sure. just like, I didn't mean for people to get eaten. Yeah, I just I wanted to see the dinosaurs. Yeah. I just wanted, I just wanted the world to see what I've been seeing. And now people are dying as a result of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So see, mine would be to take it in a, in a slightly different direction and have like, what if it's about surrender? What if mm. Loomis, having spent all of his time with this evil, has decided that the thing to do is to just go along? Mm. Because maybe that'll change things. You yeah. know, the, he's deluded himself into thinking that maybe he can steer it. Yeah. Which I kind of thought was what they were flirting with in the new one. Yeah. But then they, of course, corrected it in a really interesting... Yeah. Like, I just thought that was great. It's like, no, 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 this wouldn't work. We're not going to do that. We're going to yeah. do this. Yeah. And the idea of... of someone studying it long enough that they st- I'm sure that someone has done this somewhere mm-hmm. but you know like if if I mean if Jason Voorhees was real if, if that if that universe if the Friday the 13th universe worked yeah and you know you've got proof of life after death you've got all these horrible right. weird implications for metaphysics. crazy implications yes exactly. you want to study it you want to know what's going on and eventually yeah. it's like oh no no I get this and nobody else does and yeah maybe that's it not that he would not that Loomis would be like Michael's acolyte but that yeah. he would maybe think he was holding the leash 
Yes. And be wrong. Yes, yes, yes. But, Love that. But that would be even more tragic. Right. To, you know, to think you finally understood it and accidentally enable it. Yeah. Although yours is great, too. The idea that but I'm letting like, you loose to teach them a lesson. Similar. They come from a similar neighborhood, right? Where it's mm. really like it's all hanging. It's all hanging our hats on the idea of this doctor that's confronted this thing. Right. And like, that's what's so fascinating to me is that's really become a franchise about Michael killing people. But and the, again, I agree, like Rob Zombie tapping into a little bit more Loomis. I did think it was interesting just as far as like what happens to a guy that spends 20 years in a room with this yeah, yeah. with this guy or now a new movie 40 years and that's like so much more interesting to me even in the sense like because another angle I would do it would be you know like if I were into Michael's head I don't know if I'd be spending the last 40 years trying to like think about my unfinished I'm thinking of this off sure, the cuff yeah, yeah. thinking about my off the um my unfinished business with Lori, but more just like staring the face of this doctor I've stared at for 40 years. And I almost think like, man, if Michael escapes, it'd be crazy to, if he's like just basically going after everybody that Loomis knows, hmm. you know, it's almost the idea of Punch like him for, yeah. Like every day that you come into my room, I'm thinking about the call you just stepped out to make to your wife and how much I would like to end her, you know? And like the idea of like, Oh, you don't, I saw that picture of your, family in your wallet and you don't know that I saw that and it's more just logged into my memory and it's just like all the data that Michael has collected over 40 years where I guess if we're talking about Loomis 20 years of Loomis all the data Michael's accumulated to be able to once he has the freedom just end everything for Loomis you know just like you thought I was nice you thought I was helpful you just think that I'm evil and I'm here to show you that you're absolutely right I have no compassion for you I'm uh, you are the closest contact I've had with a human being, and I would like nothing more than just to see everything you love just robbed from you, just so I could see what happens to you. Yeah. And just like that's like a lector thing, right? Like, yeah, he's totally. Yeah. Michael more agency than than I think maybe he should have. Right? Yeah, because he really should be more like a force. And yeah. you're right; like he should. It's more not like, a bad idea. Like it's a really unnerving idea. It's a really horrible. But you're right; like it almost gives him makes it too calculated. It's almost like the Michael Myers version of it would be more. I was going to say it makes it too personal, but of course he only wants to kill Laurie, so it's not that's yeah, that, not personal. But, and that's exactly what I mean. Like, mm, like just, Halloween 2 just made Just targeting it, someone else instead. Halloween 2 made things so personal for Michael, and I thought in the new movie they were going to be stripping everything personal for Michael, only to go see it and realize, oh, they didn't. If they didn't, then why didn't they just keep it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It was just kind no, of my thought on it. It's... It's weird because, and I think that is the greatest thing about Michael Myers, is that mm. we keep trying to, even now, we're trying to give him motivation and agency yeah. and, and understanding. It's like, he doesn't have any. He yeah. just, it's more disturbing. And and I think that's, too, that's why the mask is such an interesting icon. And yeah. I get it. We all, as the audience, we want the mask. But when it comes off at the end of the first Halloween and yeah. glimpse it again in two and then yeah. in the new one, he's just ordinary. Like, there's yeah. nothing there to be distinctive which is like as opposed to you know this huge scar or this yeah. like his eyeball his eyelid sticks out a bit that's yeah. about it that's, that's his it. sole distinguishing feature yeah and I think that's kind of great is that every time they try to show us the true horror of Michael Myers it's not as scary as the as the thing under the mask right that we are filling in ourselves right and even Terminator comes down to programming mm-hmm. you can explain it there's exposition yeah um the the smartest thing that Carpenter and Deborah Hill did was just like no we don't we don't know there's yeah. we don't know and that's and, what's, that's why we're talking about it it's yeah. like this I that is the scariest thing 
And I could not agree more. And I think that, if anything, my hat would be off to the new movie, if anything, for bringing that back. Because I was just so devastated by all the all the living with Michael Myers as a kid and like everything that led up to him killing his sister. And I was like, oh no, like this is all the stuff I don't want to know. And then, wow, Michael, you're really lucky you grew up to be seven feet tall and like, <laughs> super buff. Because like, you know, like it just felt too, uh, it all just felt too convenient. Whereas that's the other thing that I love is Michael just has the stature of a guy. Like, yeah. and going back to that in this one, you know, it's like he's not, he's not, He's not heavy, he's not thin, he's not built, he's just a guy. And that is horrifying. Yeah, the, you know, even the thing, he kills a dog in the first movie, he squishes mm. people's heads constantly, he, just because yeah. he doesn't stop. Yeah. Like it's, he's not super strong, he just doesn't hold back. Yes. And that's, yeah, it's incredibly disturbing. And that's also why he is so so striking as a figure, because he doesn't move, yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't sort of shift his weight. It's a yeah. great physical performance by by Nick just, Castle, right? Who mm-hmm. went on to direct movies himself. Yeah. Um, and then in the new film, it's just I find it absolutely marvelous that the guy's sixty one. If I got the math right, yes, yeah, he'd be in the fifty nine, and he's in his early sixties, yeah. and yeah, whatever. But, oh, but is there? like they're oh, on but, either but, side but, of sixty. Yeah. And that's what this movie is about. Like there mm-hmm. are younger, there are teenagers. There's Laurie's granddaughter. There's all this other activity. Yeah. But no, we're staying with these same characters who yeah. were much younger and now are kind of still relatively matched yeah she's got firepower he's got arms that yeah know, he's clearly been just doing tensing exercises or something yeah, like yeah, yeah. Muscles, right? <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter right like it right. doesn't matter how he's done it of course he has he, he has yeah like what else has he had to do mm-hmm. and it is funny i was thinking about the age i was like man he's super old but then again like he's just so flat he's just so blank that he's not doing anything that you can really criticize i mean maybe a 60 year old couldn't handle getting hit by a car the way that he did but i almost felt like because one another one of my all-time favorite movies is the dark knight and the joker for whatever reason has always been someone that has always been a character the joker was the first fictional character that captured my imagination when I was okay a kid. Yeah. and so my introduction to batman was not through batman it was through the joker i learned who batman was because of my investigation of who the joker was as a kid and um yeah, what I loved about the comic books when I was growing up, that the comic books as I got older tried to kind of reinvent, and then Christopher Nolan really brought it back to, and I think just the most iconic way, was just the idea that even the Joker was, like Michael Myers, an elemental force. More just like, he arrives in a place, and he he destroys it because he just likes destroying. Right. And his rhyme or reason like all of his calculations are not because he's calculated his calculations are just following his whimsy and um and i love that about the dark knight just the idea like he he has plans but his plans shift and move and just kind of follow wherever he sees that he can cause the most harm or have the most quote-unquote fun and um and i remember listening to jonathan nolan talking about writing the dark knight and how you know in the movie the opening of the movie is that shot of just the back of Heath Ledger standing there with his duffel bag yeah. and then the van pulls up and he said that he and Chris like when they were concocting that moment the moment was designed in such a way that if you had cut to that shot 30 seconds earlier he wouldn't have been there and it's almost like the devil materialized on the corner of Chicago Yeah, and now the devil has come to Chicago and this is a movie about the devil has come to Chicago right 
And so now it's just a matter of someone who's decided they're going to protect this city having to safeguard a city against an elemental evil. And how do we manage all the chaos that he's bringing, right? Like, what the heck do we do? And we can't anticipate it. We can't guess. We can't get ahead of it. We can only chase it and just hope to stop it, you know? And that, like, the more we talk, like, the more I'm like, that really is what Michael should be. Like, it's almost like I don't want to have to keep seeing him escape. Right. You know, like, and that's always the biggest challenge with these movies is trying to justify how he gets there. And obviously the new movie had to do a great deal of work to justify getting him his mask, which worked, but was not necessarily the cleanest. It was like a relatively clumsy, but okay way to do it. But it's almost like as an audience member, you're like going like, I don't love this, but you have to do it because I want him to have the mask. Yeah, you know? some part like, of it is necessary. Like, I want him to have... Yeah, exactly. And like, and we have to get him to escape. But there's also like... There's also a version of this movie where... Or Halloween as a franchise where... I would be terrified and I would like to say okay with the idea of this is a movie where here's another town. It's not Haddonfield. Michael emerges from the woods. Wreaks havoc. And before he can be stopped, he disappears back into the woods. And we don't know where he goes. We don't know if he just vanishes to reappear again. We don't know if he's just living somewhere, just trekking on his feet to go find the next place. But the whole idea is like, come this time of year, somewhere, this force is going to materialize. Right. Like a lottery. You yeah. never know when it's going to be your town. You know, and when he comes, just like Hurricane Michael, like you can just only hope yeah. that the devastation is... Two tens over. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, less see, now I just have this. I I want to see that movie. I want to watch the town. I want it's like okay, people, we trained for this. You know, like I want to see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, totally. The Myers Brigades that they like have. we prepared for this. And yeah. You <laughs> laughed when I said we needed funding for this, but look, yeah. look. <laughs> but how do you stop? But like, and then it would be ineffectual because right, nothing right. can stop him. Right. Yeah. Nothing can stop him. Like he's just it was Myers the, Brigades. <laughs> yeah, Myers Brigades. It, but even just the idea that like, what freaked me out about Halloween was for whatever reason. When I was younger, watching the Halloween movies, even though they took place in Haddonfield, what freaked me out was the idea of Myers finding me. You know what I mean? Like, right. I never went, like... In my mind, I never imagined that I was geographically safe, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or it's just the boogeyman, right? Yeah, like, that's the, the whole point. That's what uh, Danny McBride said about writing the new ones. Like, yeah. I, if he's only coming after his sister, I'm fine. Yeah. And it's not as scary. And you're fine, it's not as scary. Yeah, and that's... What freaks me out is the idea, like, that Miles could be Michael Myers could be anywhere and it is an, an interesting idea to kind of explore the idea of like almost like Freddy where he's just there's a little bit more of an elemental version of it where he doesn't keep getting locked up and he doesn't keep having to find his mask and it's more like here's the image of a guy that wears this white freaky mask who emerges and he's never been caught and there's no rhyme or reason to where he shows up there's no rhyme or reason to why he kills or who he kills when he shows up just hope that you're not in the place that it happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, it's like, a story you, you tell your kids, right? Like yeah. it, it, it is the basic elemental campfire story fairy tale thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that kind of brings me to the the question that I always ask at the end of the podcast, which is, you know, like, is there anything, obviously I'm, I'm sure we're going to find something, is there yeah. anything of Halloween 2 that you have borrowed or lifted or stolen mm-hmm. or just incorporated into your own creative DNA? Certainly, the, um, you might be the killer. Has a the logic of these movies? Yeah, it does. In. It really does. Um, it also, um, what Halloween two specifically? Yeah, I mean Halloween informs informs me a lot. You know, it's just always one of the wells that I like to draw from. But Halloween two specifically 
has always really brought up the idea of just how to continue a story. Like the idea of extending and sequels and just, it's been an option for me of how to continue a story. Or wow, like Halloween really showed that there is a version of these movies where the story literally just keeps going Mm -hmm. as opposed to where the character journey continues in another form or fashion or the adventure continues in another time and space. But the idea like, no, like what happens if your story just literally continues? Like what happens? And you might be the killer. Obviously the end of the movie jumped to two years later, which is all just the payoff of the joke set up in the movie. But when I think about continuing that story, I literally, I do think about, okay, so what if the sequel continues from the last from the scene we left on right back to the future 2 does that you know it's like back to the future 1 you know ends with like doc coming back and like the whole like awesome to be continued which i think is incredibly bold that they did that because zemeckis and bob gale said that they just did that for fun they didn't actually have an idea for a sequel or yeah well they I mean, they claimed for a while that they didn't even do it at all that it was added by universal mm-hmm. for home video that's so uh, funny because it wasn't in the theatrical prints i didn't know that yeah and in fact the I think the Blu-ray versions were the first time where they took it off again. Interesting. And didn't include it because it just it yeah. wasn't there. And then people got mad because they'd grown up watching that video. And they wanted and they, to see it the way that it was. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Because, yeah, it teases, it teases something that doesn't exist. Yeah. And the original plan, too, was that they were going to call the sequels Back to the Future. What, what do they call it? Back to Back to the Future and Back to the Future again. But those were too complicated. Oh, so they ended up going back to part two. Did you ever see three? Back to Back to the Future? Yeah. You drive people <laughs> Thank crazy. Thank God they didn't do that. Yeah. But what I've always loved is, and Halloween 1 does this, and Halloween 2 pays it off, but I love movies that end in such a way that they let your imagination take flight, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to a clear closing of the book. Like, I like the existing story to come to a close, but I really do love kind of, I love movies that end on an upswing, um, in whatever way you choose to define that. But I remember listening, again, I'm going to talk about Batman again, (laughs) Um, but... Christopher Nolan he's talking about Batman Begins um, you know the end of the movie is him on the rooftop with Commissioner Gordon which is like wow this movie has reached the it's reached that iconic place where there's Batman talking to Commissioner Gordon at the bat signal as we've like always seen like this is cool like landing the movie there you're like oh he's Batman now this is yeah. we've now caught up to the place that I'm used to seeing this is awesome and then, like, him pulling out the Joker card, you're like, oh, my God, his most iconic villain. That's amazing. And then it was like, I'll look into it. And then jumping off and, like, swooping off. And I remember leaving the theater going, this is... I, I'm, I'm leaving this movie satisfied with the story I saw and just captivated by the story I'm playing out in my head. And I remember Nolan articulated this the best I've heard a director articulate it, where he just said, I wanted the people... I wanted the world to come to the movie and be introduced to a Batman that could exist in their world, and I wanted to send them home into that world where they could imagine now that he's taken flight. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And he said that was not done with any intention to do a sequel. It was not done as any bait to do a sequel. And obviously, there's no way you're making a Batman movie without knowing that there's potential for it. But he... And it's another thing that I really admire about him, but and I don't know how to do this, but he only makes... He talks about how he only makes movies one at a time. Like, he doesn't... He can't... He can't make a movie thinking about what he's going to be doing next because he just it just distracts from the task he has at hand. Sure, yeah. And, um, and so he has said, and I don't know where the truth is, obviously, but just taking him at his word, you know, that he... 
he never had an intention of making a Batman sequel, and he didn't do the Joker ending with an intention of baiting a Batman sequel. It was more just that was the easiest way to send the audience on an on an imaginary adventure out of the theater and ta-da, how great is that Batman? Yeah. And so, but I love that feeling, you know, and Back to the Future 1 obviously did that as well. Um, I actually love the ending of, this, it's not my favorite franchise, but even the end of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, there's an ending with, like, Captain Jack Sparrow, he got a ship back, and he has his compass back, and, like, oh, he claps it shut, and, like, we hit the fanfare in the credits. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, this is, like, I'm leaving the theater now just kind of writing a story in my head. And I love that feeling. And Halloween 1 did that. And it was the first movie, along with Back to the Future, that really did that for me. Where it's like the idea of looking over the balcony edge and then there's just the imprint of the body on the grass, but Michael's gone. So now I'm freaked out where Michael is, but I'm also wondering what that means. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, oh, this is so cool. The, story, the night's over, but the story isn't over. You know, like, it's so cool. So I love... I love that. We definitely went for that with You Might Be the Killer just because that's just my taste and that's just what excites me. But Well, and it's self-aware kind of laugh as well. Yes. Saying that, you know, like, we all know what happens next. We all know it, yeah. Like, and this that's is the fun part. Exactly, that's the fun part. And again, like, just kind of going back to what Nolan said, sure. I do not know what the sequel for You Might Be the Killer is, but that wasn't the point of the ending. It's like the point of the ending was exactly like you said. Like, we all kind of know and that's like what Nolan was saying about Batman. It was like, we all kind of know where this goes. And even like Sherlock Holmes, they didn't do it as well. But the new Sherlock Holmes, you know, that Robert Downey Jr. did, you know, even the end of that, they try and tease Moriarty. And it's sure. like, it didn't quite set my heart as a sale as those other movies. But so it's not a great example, but it did, it did do it. And I know where it goes. Like, oh, okay. I, yeah. Well, anytime you sort of dig into a property that we know backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. there's stuff that people are waiting for and there's stuff that people don't know they're waiting for. Yeah, exactly. Like the extra beat that Batman Begins is not about the Joker, but he's around. Yeah. Like, and and it's gratifying, yeah. you know, as a fan to have that reward to go, like, oh, yeah, uh, right, right, right. You know the same thing I know. Yeah. But when you start digging deeper into genre and stuff like how every Halloween movie will somehow incorporate the music because if it doesn't, why yeah. do you make the movie? And just things like yeah. that, things that you expect to be fulfilled. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, and when you're dealing with uh, a not exactly sleepaway camp or, or Friday the 13th situation, but you're mm-hmm. at a summer camp, there are certain things that have to happen. Boat yeah. houses and lakes and, and people walking. Like that final shot of uh, people walking out across a, a sunny field yeah, with the with the threat having ended, things like that. Those yeah. are essential. Yeah, but we also know that they are constructs that they can be punctured. Right, right, exactly. So it's more fun to play with them. And that's what I, I, I just I've always loved about Halloween, ending with them looking over that balcony. Mm-hmm. Michael's body's gone. The soundtrack kicks in hard with the Halloween theme, and then we go to credits. It's such a satisfying ending. And the same with uh, it's funny comparing Back to the Future, both shot by Dean Cundey. But you go back to Back to the Future, same thing. Like DeLorean flying into the screen, the fanfare hitting big. Well, I guess it's Huey Lewis in the news in the first one, but oh, the music soars. Like, music yeah. soars, and you're just like, oh wow! And so Halloween, I love that. You never know what they're gonna do, and then to come see the sequel, and for it to open with that scene again, and to be back there, it's like all of a sudden in an instant. Obviously, I'm watching the sequel. I like the first movie. Yeah. In an instant, you've put me right back into a movie I care about. And that was just continuing. Yeah. And even the choice of, like, just the long steady cam shot they do, just, like, Michael's POV walking down the alley and spying on the lady and seeing Loomis from a distance. And 
I was just like, oh, wow, that's what this one's doing? Like, this is unbelievable. And I haven't seen a sequel that's quite been able to capture that that type of storytelling. Like, just a direct and literal continuation that was so effective and so cool, and it didn't feel like a chore. And I didn't know, you know, when I was young consuming these movies, I didn't know that my, that John didn't direct the sequel, and I didn't know the sequel wasn't intended from the beginning. I didn't know enough about how movies worked. Right. And it felt honest. Like, the sequel felt honest to me. It didn't feel... It didn't feel forced. It felt earned. It felt like a legitimate continuation. It just, on a visceral level, it worked for me. Whereas all the other sequels just absolutely didn't. All the Michael sequels. You know, it's like, man, those felt very forced and very much like... Halloween 2 is a very conclusive ending. And so now, like... (laughs) We're gonna go out of our way to justify how Michael survived being charred to death, and here's Loomis now with all this like burn makeup on. You know, like yeah. it's they're just unnecessary. They're really unnecessary. They all feel a little false. Michael doesn't. The mask doesn't look the same. So like Michael doesn't look the same to me. So that was always like the sequels. I just never, I never fully accepted them. You know what I did accept though? Didn't expect to was I. I do have a a a place in my heart for H two O. Just because it brings back Laurie, I think. It brings back Laurie. It brought back the theme in a better way, even though it was like orchestral and stuff. But I like, I liked H2O. I went back and rewatched it, and I don't like it as much as <laughs> as I used to. But you can't throw it all out. Like, yeah, there's I, some good stuff in there. I perversely have been thinking about rewatching it just you should. now that it's all back out again. You should. It suffers from um, feeling like a post Scream 90s slasher. Yeah, obviously Kevin that's Williams what I remember. About the, the where it's like, yeah, the tone of it, you're kind of like, uh, like a lot of the teenage banter, you're kind of like, uh, but the third act of that movie, Michael coming after Laurie, is great. It's so great because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Like on some basic primal level, that story has to that story has to conclude. Yes, and there's and there's some of it. I'm, I'm just times. now thinking about this out loud because we're talking about it. But there's some of the third act of that movie that I actually do like better than the third act of the new movie because I. Loved the portrayal of Laurie in the new movie. But what I didn't like was... Again, this is coming out loud out of my mouth, so I don't know if I'm going to sure, regret sure. it or not. But but Laurie almost felt stronger in H2O, having gone through everything she went through and having the strength to move on with her life, but still be ready to face Michael when he showed up. Whereas <clears throat> in the new movie the idea that she's been so traumatized that a marriage hasn't been able to survive. She hasn't been able to raise her daughter. Right, right, right. You know, she has this house that's kind of like Kevin McAllister decked out with traps, you know, and stuff. Where I was like, that's all a cool idea, but I'm just now thinking about it. Like, as I think about it, it almost feels weaker. You know, it almost feels like... I would understand the paranoia. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I feel like the Laurie I want is somewhere in the middle. You know, I was like, I don't think... You know what I mean? I or can sort of see that. I mean, I, well, the difference, I guess, is that Halloween H2O is not a tragedy. And right. Halloween, That's what it is. Halloween is about how, you know, like, look what this is. a tragedy. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely, like, her life has been ruined by this, where I'm like, I feel like her life should be affected by this. But it's almost over the top how ruined it is. Um, just having failed marriages, not being the best mom, being a little paranoid. That makes a lot of sense to me. But then, 
Well, that's 20 years. You add another 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adding an automated kitchen counter and an arsenal, like 20 guns. Oh, come on, I want one of those. I that's definitely so want cool. one of those, like a panic room and yeah. all that stuff. That is, that is really panic cool. Panic room in Haddonfield, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, Every home exactly. should have one. But like her being great with a gun, I love that. Like there was a lot that they did with Lori that I really did like. I'm more just kind of like revisiting H2O right now in my mind and thinking like I do really, uh, I do really liked how, how like how strong she was in that. But you're right, that's the difference between 20 years and 40 years. And it's, I do like having both. That is what I like. Yeah, we can pick our Halloween. We can pick, there's, yeah. Like there's two, there's H2O, there's the new one. I do love that. Yeah. Like it's, again, it comes back to like comic books with like, I just like seeing what different storytellers do with the iconography of like the character and like mm-hmm. the world. But um, that was something I really liked was Lori was just more strong enough to move on and strong enough to respond. Like when Michael showed up, she's like, here we go. And yeah. she like just chops his head off. You know, it's so great. The one I don't forgive is Resurrection. Oh, yeah. No, like, the, the like, I don't think anybody does. Con, that's just, I don't like, think there's going to be any apologists for Resurrection. No, well, Buster Rhymes was fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing I've still kept from that movie. Yeah, Buster Rhymes. Yeah. This entire bank's in that movie, too. I think so. But ah, the uh, but Halloween but the uh, that movie time. lost me from the get go with Laurie being literally insane. Yeah, that well, being insane. wrong, she's never been wrong. Yeah, like that's that alone is the mistake. Yeah, so and that Michael's movie was like done. Clever. It was like dead on arrival for me. Like, as soon as they did that, I was like, "Well, you kind of blew it." Yeah, there's always the next one. And there's always the next one. But did you like the new Halloween? I did. did you like yeah, it? I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of good stuff. Um, there. Yeah, played with a crowd too. I mean, I saw it at the TIFF premiere, and they just went insane. Oh, nice! I have I, I was I was at the screening with the Q and A, and I have been covering TIFF for thirty years, and I have never seen anybody get as much love as Jamie Lee Curtis got when she that's came cool. out on that stage. People went nuts for her. Because you know that just transcends the movie, right? Like it's not even a matter of like the reception of the movie has nothing to do with the reception of her. Like it's like she just so treasured within the genre yeah. and the franchise you know yeah. it's like Judy Greer was saying that too that people just absolutely love her in Charleston they were shooting the movie and people were walking up and just going I'm so and she's so gracious like that's what I hear about her is like she yeah. just like she embraces all of that and that's so cool like even the fact that she's still doing these movies and she could absolutely yeah. if she wanted to be be a curmudgeon be like I, those days are done mm-hmm. and no one would fault her for it but the fact that she's like still running and doing it is really cool yeah although now I think like I would really like this. I agree unless the next Halloween is just a movie about Laurie putting her life back together with yeah. no Michael it's just a movie called Laurie yeah I think we could move on yeah I think we can move on as well but it was cool to give her like that one last oh yeah totally. kind of badass like like showdown with him I did really I did really like that I liked the movie a lot there was I just think I have so many opinions about it it didn't live up to everything I wanted it to live up to well but after 40 years what can one hundred percent. Like, how do you even? How how do you even? Um, I do feel like it's nice to see Halloween kind of put back on a. It's almost like the needles kind of back in the groove of the record, you know. Whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Rob Zombie's movies, I think kind of left a bad taste for, for me and a lot of people. I feel like like everything's now in a better place, and it's almost like I can walk away from it now. Yeah, we can move on. Mm-hmm. Like this the it's closure closed. Yeah, for sure. My thanks to Brett Simmons, whose latest film, You Might Be the Killer, is available to watch in the U.S. on Sci-Fi.com right now, and will likely be showing up elsewhere before too long. Thanks also to Adam Lopez and Christian Burgess. They know what they did. 
You can find Brett on Twitter at Brett underscore Simmons, and you can find Halloween 2 on DVD and Blu-ray from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. There's also an excellent special edition Blu-ray from Shout Factory that includes the TV cut of the film and a really good retrospective documentary. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.